Technology in healthcare has the potential to improve the lives of a lot of patients. But the process of creating and maintaining software in healthcare is really complicated. Regulation, integration, consent, privacy laws, data sovereignty, interoperability. They're all things that keep a health tech founder or development team up at night. So as technology gets more and more advanced, it doesn't mean that things need to get more complicated. In fact, with the right no-code platforms, it should be easier than ever before. Well, with me today, I'm joined by Gardy Bickler, Chief Strategy Officer at WeGuide and Curve Tomorrow. And in this episode, we talk about how technology platforms can bring health equity to developing countries. We learn about no-code platforms, connected devices, and partnerships in health, and about achieving good patient outcomes, data sovereignty, and quality assurance requirements. Collaboration starts with the conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Between now and the end of June, we're conducting the 2024 Talking Health Tech audience survey. This helps us prioritize content, hone in key messages, and refine the show to make it even better. We also want to understand who the biggest cohorts of our audience are. So I'd love for you to take five or 10 minutes to have your say and complete the survey. Everyone who completes it goes in the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of THT Plus membership credits to put towards a membership for yourself as an individual or to help get the word out about your company. The link to complete the survey is in the show notes of this episode or just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey. Thanks for coming in. Nice to meet you again, Peter. Thank you. Tell us a bit about yourself. Firstly, introduce yourself, who you are, where you're from, what you do. So my name is Gadi Bichler. I, uh, I'm the Chief Strategy Officer for a company called WeGuide, weguide.health. And we're a, a software platform, a SaaS platform that hopefully can bring health equity to the world as well as solve specific problems within the healthcare system in Australia. Thank you. And you've, you've come over here to have a chat from, you're based in Melbourne? So WeGuide's based in Melbourne. Our headquarters, head office is Melbourne. We have eight offices around the world. Amsterdam is where our chief product officer seats, uh, Tel Aviv for our marketing and some linkages into the Israeli high-tech world. India, where some of our developers work. And Sri Lanka, we just opened an office where we intend to uh, use that to support the local installations that we'll do in the next three months. And I know there's the connection between Curve Tomorrow and We Oh, very interesting story. That's a very good, a good We question. like stories. You like stories, Pete. Yes. I've got lots of stories. <laughs> Most people have heard of Curve in some form, shape, if you work in health tech. I know you have before. You probably interviewed one of the director or the CEO of Sanji a while ago. You may have interviewed Mo and you may interview George. So Curve has been around for 14 years as and was started up by three guys. Moj, uh, Sanji, and George, who all chucked away their big corporate careers to decide to do something for health equity, uh, quite unique in this world. And they basically based themselves out of the Murdoch Children's Research Institute in Melbourne and started solving problems in health tech because they were all software engineers. They all came out of robotics, mechatronics, UI, uh, UA, and basically started developing health products to solve a specific problem using digital health. Quite unique 14 years ago, quite revolutionary, right? And then build their reputation. And today, Curve has about 80 people across the world. About five years ago, they kept being asked by clients 
to solve the same problem. And the problem was, give me a system to do PREMS and PROM. So they built one for one hospital. They built another one for another health network. And PREMS, PROMS and PREMS, so patient-reported outcome measures, patient-reported experience measures. Correct. Well, you uh, do I, I mean, this is a health, talking health tech podcast. I'm sure I didn't need to explain well, that. Well, you never yeah. know. Like, so we, I mean, we, we might we get new assume. customers. You might assume. get new people. No. Okay, I, I won't. I will stop using it. <laughs> um, so they did that. And then they figured out there must be a market. So they had to make a choice. Do they want to build an EMR, electronic medical record mm-hmm. system, or do they want to build a platform that can solve PREMS and PROM? They chose the cheaper option because, you know, to build an EMR needs a lot of money. Curve was generating the profits to be able to invest into a development of something that Curve or the, the directors own themselves from an IP perspective. And then they built WeGuide. Two years ago, we separated the company into its own entity, WeGuide Proprietary Limited, same directors, same owners, up to about a month ago. Um, a month ago, we went through our seed capital raise. First raise completed. So WeGuide now has other shareholders, uh, including... Um, Med Angels, who is our lead investor. Yeah. So that's that's the WeGuard story. Yeah. And and so and y- your your role within it is is around steering the ship, doing the strategy bit. Yeah. Sales. So I did I did I was the head of sales for or head of growth for uh Curve up to now. Uh, I'm transitioning into this chief strategy role at WeGuide. But basically it's sales. You know, when you say to someone I work in sales, doesn't sound sexy. You say to someone, I work in strategy, <laughs> uh, the doors just keep opening because everybody wants to talk to a strategy guy because they don't think they're going to sell him anything. But, you know, obviously we have purpose, you know, Curve and WeGuide have the same DNA. Our DNA, and if you look at everything that we put out, whether it's on our webs, our socials, the individual LinkedIn profiles of all the directors and myself, we want to impact a billion. That's a target that was set way back in 2009 when the company started. It's about impact. We have an impact calculator. We report on it. Every board meeting, once a month, you know, we have to report how many people have we impacted. These are the numbers of people that have either downloaded one of our tools or interacted with one of our tools, became a user on someone else's tool that we've provided. We track all that. And for us, it's about improving outcomes. Indirect, we're not clinicians. We're not going to be able to treat you for your mental illness. But we might build a tool for a, a psychiatry organization that might help alleviate some of the issues that you see around mental health, First Nations people's mental health, et cetera, et cetera. That's our mission. That's what drives everybody who works for Curve. People don't get paid a lot working for us. And that's what makes this company so unique, which what excited me because I came out of the corporate world. You know, for me, it was always about greed, about money. That's what they teach you at business school, right? That's what they taught me, at least. And, uh, you know, and it was quite refreshing to all of a sudden work at a company that what drives you is purpose, not profit. Hard if you want to list a company, of course, because, you know, fiduciary duty of the directors is to maximize the return for shareholders. How do you do that if your purpose is to take off your profits and just plow it back into something, you know, develop an application that solves a problem for, say, an NFP like Leukemia Foundation, one of our clients. And, you know, they've got a set amount of budget, but you want to create a really good tool. So you overspend, you overstretch yourself. Now, that's not maximizing the return for the shareholder. So if you're a private company, that's fine, but how do you do that in a listed entity? 
in a public-private company. Difficult challenges ahead. The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years, all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help, yes you, to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness, 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around... I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more, preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or ten minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to TalkingHealthTech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. On the tour for a second, because we'll probably come back to the, the, the purpose stuff, I'm sure. We guys, yeah. simplifying the process a little bit more. Talk to me a bit more about what, what does it do? What that, what that is, yeah. You know, when you're trying to do too much, it's hard to explain. So I'll give you an example. So WeGuard is a software as a service platform, right? It sits on the cloud, right? And it enables people to create or solve specific problems. Let's identify what are those. If you want to run clinical trials, decentralized or remote trials, uh, and create engagement with the participant, COVID was a great example where you couldn't run face-to-face trials. WeGuard really came into it, into its play, into its form. So it does that. So we have a number of trials running around the world. The World Health Organization is one of our clients. They're running the is it the BCG trial, I think, the tuberculosis uh, vaccine. There was a, a, that's that's a vaccine that's out of patent, and it there was thought around researchers that it could create an immune response to COVID. Now in a lot of third world countries. They couldn't afford the COVID vaccine, obviously, because their pharmaceutical hold on the patents. So trials still running, 7,000 participants around the world, funded by the World Health Organization, run by the researchers at the Murdoch Children Research Institute, using our platform to talk to people around the world to say, okay, you've, you had COVID, you had this vaccine, what was the reaction, how long are you sick for, did it reduce the mortality rate, did it reduce your symptom, and we'll know whether potentially vaccinate people with this, this vaccine that's already been given in certain countries, third world countries, will create an immune response to COVID to reduce the mortality. Now, how do you do that? Because you need to be able to gather data from people. You need to get their consent. The platform does all that. Now, the platform is a no-code platform. The practitioner or the clinician or the trial manager or the researcher can actually create a program through the back-end portal. And, whether, and that program could be, okay, this person had a vaccine, remind them a week later what was their symptoms to the actual vaccine, right? Because it's a platform that can be deployed both in web app, on, on a computer, in two mobile apps, all in the same interface or in the same sort of package, then you're getting a greater engagement with the participant because you can hit them with notifications. 
Now, in some third world countries, there is no ability to do notifications, so you can do it through SMS. You're still doing it to the mobile device, and that's the advantage of that. And one of the benefits that we get in WeGuard through some of the development work in that platform is that we get 94% adherence rate across all our users, across all our participants, and that's powerful. And so being a no-code platform, then, that allows whether it's the trial coordinator or whether it's the, the, the one owning the, the, yeah. the process to customize it based on their unique requirements. And also tweak it halfway through. So if they're getting particular responses to the question, it's a decision tree. You basically have complex decision trees and complex objects. You can add any object. So you want to add a video. You want to add a welcome letter. right? You want to add a video to explain what are you doing. You want to add a consent. All that sort of stuff, all these objects can be built into this platform. And then you can set set rules depending on what you're doing. So if it's uh, if what you're trying to do is remind people that, say, in some vaccination, you need three shots. So you want to remind them that after they take the first one, uh, in a week's time, get the next one. You hit them with reminders till they do it, through notification, through reminders. Now, obviously, you get a better adherence if you can incorporate some behavioral psychology aspects into the way you interact with the users in a digital way. Here lies the advantage of our company. Not only do we know how to create engaging digital tools through the 14 years experience of co-design that's been done at Curve, we also, at WeGuide, our chief product officer is a behavioral psychologist. So he's building in all these sort of gamification techniques and engagement techniques through the psychology of how people think to create that link to make sure we hit that 94% adherence. That makes sense. It does. And but then thinking, you know, being a, a self-serve, no-code platform, meaning there's a lot of ability to customize that flow and meet those unique requirements. On one hand, that sounds really appealing. And then the other side, it's kind of like, you know, when you give someone a blank canvas, Correct. They, they kind of like don't know what to do or they, they make a big meal of it. Yeah. And But you, right at the end there, you're talking about the behavioral psychology gamification. So it sounds like there's a bit of uh, structure there, the guardrails. There then, is. Well, and also, you know, you know, we, we, we see ourselves as a product company. That's mm-hmm. our mission, right? We want to obviously provide this platform. It's a licensed product per year. We want to provide it to as many customers around the world as possible to solve problems. Now, we also, obviously, as you launch, you know, we've been doing this for two years, we have to also do some configuration work. So we have a team of configurators that guide researchers. Researchers are probably better equipped to do it themselves because they've got a little bit more time and they're interested in this. So that was the application for trial management or research. The other application is for ECP. So electronic care pathways or digital care pathways. Last two weeks ago, we signed a contract for the largest public health tender awarded in Australia for ECPs. Right Now, it was signed with Curve because the WeGuide platform is a component of that's why I can't say it's signed by WeGuard, but Curve will use the WeGuard platform to deliver those enterprise-level ECPs. Now, ECP, Electronic Care Pathways, um, will be co-developed with the clinicians in Northern Health. That's the hospital that's awarded this tender for us. And that particular type of pathways will cover both information, but also pre- and post-op management for certain conditions and intervention. And that's what the exciting bit is. Because obviously we're not clinicians, right? So they will need to provide the the content. We will then do the flow with them to make sure it's 
the most effective way being delivered on the platform. However, at the end of the day, clinicians are busy, right? So while researchers probably have more time, most clinicians we interact with don't have time, although it's no code, if someone still has to sit around the back, understand how to do it. So we will train them. And hopefully, you know, especially with the younger generations, you know, I interact with a lot of health professionals uh, across private, public sector, clinicians, uh, you know, across the health sciences spectrum. And, you know, we're getting to the stage now where you're getting a, the young generation coming through, people who want to use technology. COVID accelerated that for us, for, for the whole industry. You know, prior to COVID, as you know, no one wanted to do telehealth, right? The government never funded it. And you know what? The clinicians didn't want to do it. So hopefully we're now seeing the next crop of, you know, over the next 10, 15 years where these people will eat this platform alive in terms of the ability to configure things. Right? They'll, they'll be better than whatever configurator I will give them. There's that benefit of the efficiency and the recommendations you can provide in, in giving those guardrails. But I imagine also it then would give a, some peace of mind to the health systems or the clinicians about, you know, making sure that all the regulatory stuff is sorted and all the Absolutely. data sovereignty and things. Is, am I on the right track there? You're trying. <laughs> you did read the brief I sent you. That's good. <laughs> I like I like someone who's prepared because I wasn't prepared for this. You know, I, fl- I flew in this morning. I landed late. You know, you got me on a bit edgy here. That's part of the strategy. Is it? Like to feel me, make me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> very Doesn't hard, very like hard to do that, Peter. Yeah, the, the platform is TGA approved. So we've already got a class one medical device. Uh, FDA approval. ISO 27001 from a data security perspective. It's The good thing about WeGuard is the tech was done. You know, in a lot of startups, you know, you have an ID, you do a bit of an MVP, a bit of a, a little bit of a development, and you want to get money to actually do the real thing. High-risk strategy, right, for the investors. Um, in our case, the tech was done. We're actually generating revenue. We've got a lot of clients already. And because the tech was done and the regulatory was done, really the, the seed capital funding is to accelerate the sales and marketing efforts of this, of this platform. We start seeing it now. So we, on the back of that Northern Health Tender, we want an eating disorder care pathway. We want a spinal rehabilitation pathway. This is in WA. Okay. We will, you know, I can see us being in every hospital solving a problem. And once you solve one problem and the clinician gets comfortable, we will solve a range of problems because it's so easy to use and it's so easy to develop another care pathway. Because the building blocks are the same. It's just that the decision rules are different based on the condition you're trying to address. You can deliver training with this. Our first country that we're expanding into is Sri Lanka. I've just come back from Sri Lanka on Saturday. And we signed a memorandum to start a trial in a public hospital in Sri Lanka where our objective, because remember, we're about purpose, we're about impact. The healthcare system in Sri Lanka is very, very different to Australia. It's a country of extremes. The wealthy are very wealthy. The poor are very poor. But it's an island. It's small. It's got great coverage. You know, I drive from here. I grew up in Muldura, by the way. You know what that is? You probably don't because you're a Sydney cider. I'm but, going to Rockhampton, thank you very much. Well, but. Queenslander, that's even worse. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I migrated to Victoria and, I, and I, lived, I grew up in a place called Cardross, which is just outside Muldura. 
If I say cartridge, you wouldn't know where that is. Mildura, you might have a chance. And, you know, I drive to Mildura three times a year to see relatives. And there's two hours along the way where there's no mobile reception. Nothing. Sri Lanka, poor country, a lot poorer in Australia, but there's 25 million people live there. There's 75 million phones. Every person has about three phones. Right? The coverage is fantastic anywhere you go. So it's got the digital infrastructure. It's got the devices. Now, they're not all Apple iPhones, but they're still smart enough phones uh, to be able to deliver intervention to these really, really poor people. The mortality rate in Sri Lanka of the poor people is about 30%, I think, the stat that I saw, less than the people in Colombo. It's about access to clinician. It's about ability to understand that you need to go to a clinician. And it's about affordability. Yeah. What we're trying to do in Sri Lanka is do a government-to-government, government, sorry, not a, not a Jesuit, we guide to government and give that platform to every public hospital under license managed by the Ministry of Health. If we could do that, we will change the outcome from a health perspective for those poor people in Sri Lanka. That's what drives us. And if you ask me why Sri Lanka, I'll explain that. There's business logic, but there's also personal. Yeah, that I find is a great um, bit of reflection for people in terms of the importance of technology and healthcare, because so often when we get caught up in thinking about how to inject technology into healthcare, it can often come across as an additional burden or, or an extra step or something that's getting in the way of delivering good healthcare. And that's when it's kind of not done in a way that's that's purpose-driven or, or, or for the right reasons. But the, the example that you gave in terms of addressing health equity through access, um, you know, cost and all the reasons why people can't get the, the minimum, you know, level of care required to mm. reduce mortality, then that's really powerful. And and I can see at a globe, yes, there's application for it in Australia and that will- There is. There is there's help. a lot of application for First Nations people, mm -hmm. right? The, the, the outcome for health in this country, it's disgraceful. And I'm a migrant, right? I mean, I, I see myself as an Australian, but I wasn't born here. But, you know, I'm happy to say I'm ashamed at some of the health gaps that we have. You know, I live in Melbourne, you know, I've got private health insurance, I've got the best hospitals I can access, you know? The people in the Pilbara, people in Tin Creek, people in our springs, their health outcome is a lot worse than mine, both in terms of life expectancy, chronic disease management, you know, access to dialysis machines, ac access to any sort of intervention. Mental health, I don't even want to go there. I'm, I don't even know. I mean, I should look this up one day because I should have been prepared for this because you know, I knew you were going to ask me that. Uh, be prepared and say, you know, how many how many people, how long do the people in Tennant Creek have to wait for a psychiatrist to assess, you know, forget eating disorders, to assess depression? How many people are we losing daily in remote, in First, in First Nations people because it's either undiagnosed or it leads to domestic violence or whatever? Right? We created the problem. We, I mean, Australians created the problem. Well, now it's our turn to solve that. And politicians are not going to do it. Right? It's going to be entrepreneurs. It's going to be health companies. It's going to be Aboriginal leaders that step up and actually solve that problem. No person is trying to solve some of those. I want to go back to the Sri Lanka thing for a second. You mentioned personally, what, what, what was that, that connection there? 
you know, interesting sequence of events. So Sanji, the CEO of, of WeGuide, one of the founders, obviously, of Curve, uh, is a Tamil Sri Lankan. Obviously, I think he, well, if he was born in Sri Lanka, might have been born there for, you know, when he was running out, they left. Eventually ended up in Australia. So there's a connection from, obviously, a uh, heritage perspective. But also on our, on our advisory board sits uh, an eminent Sri Lankan professor of informatics. Uh, you probably heard her name, Nirmani Wickramasinghe, who is very interested in solving problems at her country. So we had a nice connection to the country, and we felt that given the micro or the macroeconomical aspect of um, the infrastructure, the access to technology, the way you have public and a private system in Sri Lanka is ripe to be able to provide a platform like this, especially if you're doing, say, two simple things, right? Management of vaccination. I mean, Sri Lanka is being supported by the World Health Organization to deliver vaccination for dengue fever, for malaria, for COVID, obviously. And then a range of the, some of the, the tropical, tropical diseases that are prevalent in that country. I know, because when I went, before I went there, my wife made me have like seven different injections. <laughs> I've never had so many injections in my life, you know, for all the sort of potential mosquito-borne diseases that I'm going to be able to potentially get down there, right? Got your yellow book? Yeah. Right? Got your yellow book of vaccines? That, well, no, it's all, you know, don't go there, the hell, my health record. It's Maybe it's on there, maybe yeah, not, yeah. who knows, right? So we, we thought it would be a very good way of trying to improve something. WeGuide has been built with, that pl- with that sort of strategy in mind, which really makes my job a lot easier as coming in as a, as a strategy guy, uh, because the thinking and the build and the tech and the way you've designed the product matches the ultimate strategy, which they didn't know at the time. Well, they didn't have a strategy at the time, but they were just went and built a product. So being able to go to Sri Lanka and say, you know, we can, so at the moment, for example, we have, we have about, I don't know, 50 clients in Australia probably about 10 clients across the world, running all sorts of things, intervention, care pathways, uh, engagement with uh, clients, uh, registry, building a registry for a client in uh, in Germany, Hamburg University, I think it is. Don't quote, don't quote me on that, but I can't remember. Sorry, Hamburg University. Could could be or could not be you, but there's someone in Germany doing a rare liver, something to do with rare liver disease, and we're building a registry of these patients on the WeGuide platform. Now, at the moment, if you're talking in Australia about patient, New South Wales patient, data has to be stored in New South Wales, not cross right? In Victoria, I, you know, if I'm running a patient engagement that I'm storing patient data on WeGuide, I can store that anywhere in Australia. Probably private cloud, which we obviously have, a private health card security, you know, HIPAA, whatever, all the reg- regulatory requirements. But really, at the end of the day, it's not a specific health regulatory requirement. It's the privacy, the, the federal privacy law count. New South Wales added an extra layer. So you've got to store it. I suspect every state, and in South Australia, I think they're talking about this legislation, every state eventually will introduce it. Don't ask me why. You know, it contradicts the whole thinking of federation. But we can take data and hive it. So even if we have multiple patients from all sorts, places, you know, by obviously address their postcode, we can then take that data and store it locally to meet that legislation. And obviously in Sri Lanka, we could do the same. 
So we can actually set up an instance of this platform. And I'm not technical, Peter, so I don't know if instance is the right word, but my CTO tells me I should use that word. It's, it sounds good, right? That's what my CTO tells me. Uh, Adam, hi, Adam. He'll be listening. He'll be, he'll be, he'll be absolutely, absolutely shivering about what I'm going to be saying in this podcast, you know, because he knows I get him into a lot of trouble, you see. Strategy guys sell the dream and the CTO has to deliver the nightmare, right? So Sri Lanka, we can hive the data. We can actually run an instance and store the data in Sri Lanka if they had a data sovereignty requirement. They actually don't. I would have thought that was one of the big things, but obviously meeting all the politicians there in Sri Lanka over the last three weeks and talking to all the health professionals at, at a government level, they didn't even think about data sovereignty. Developed country, right? Biggest, bigger problems to solve than worry about where the privacy data sit. I accept that. But having that flexibility then for future proofing and being able to to address and build with uh, communities, nations, and yep. and the needs as they grow, that's going to be really important. And then thinking then about then those needs, future future forward, being strategy guy. That's obviously you're you're constantly thinking about that kind of stuff. Mm. Where do you see this all kind of goes, and what are you excited about as as I tell you what I'm excited about those a billion people. And you know, without giving away too much of our IP, I mean, strategy is money at the end of the day, and money means we can impact more people's lives, right? Connected devices. So we already are a Garmin partner, an Apple partner. So it's about incorporating into the platform a device that our clients will be, client being, say, the hospital system, clinician or the research partner, or whatever, can incorporate and collect data 24-7 feed it into that patient record or participant record or on we guide, show it on the clinician's dashboard to make better decisions, reduce the stress on the clinician in terms of being able to do face-to-face meet and improve an outcome. Now, that's already available. You know, everybody does connected devices now. But being flexible in a platform that can connect to a range of, a range of devices. So obviously we chose the health kit ones, Apple, Google. Garmin is a bit more interesting. Uh, we will talk directly to sensors, which means we're getting a really, you know, really rich data set for the client. Now, we don't own that data. We own the platform, but the data is owned by whoever is our client. But, you know, down the track, I envisage us creating a self-help platform. So an instance of WeGuide, because, you know, WeGuide has two apps, you know, where I can spin an app. And, you know, that app's not going to be commissioned or white-labeled in, say, Northern Health Hospital logo. He'll be spun out, say, as WeGuide Self-Help. And that self-help application is something that you subscribe to, okay? And we're then able to build a data set. People opt in, of course. We'll give you some health tips, you know, depending on what condition you you have. A lot of people want to manage their own health. I'll talk a bit about that in a minute because there's always a personal side to it. Why am I doing this job? It's personal. I'll explain why in a minute. But being able to then collect and then run artificial intelligence predictive modeling on it to then improve the outcome if you have a particular chronic disease. Now, I can't do that on my current data because I don't own it. But if I build an application, is your machine not working? You haven't recorded any of this. No, no, it is. I, I that'll, didn't be t- fa- I, I, that'll be a real failure of management. <laughs> I've had 340 episodes. 
How and many? Che- how many have failed? How many have failed? Are they, they're, none of them have failed. Oh, but the I check it in like randomly, and it usually doesn't impact okay. someone who's talking. But okay. I apologise. That's okay. I, I just you know I have a peripheral vision, <laughs> like a fish. Uh, okay. Oh no, it's more like a crocodile. You know, they look from there. You know, they got. The you know, <laughs> you know, most people die in the Northern Territory. They think there's no crocodile in the world. The crocodile just sits under the water. And through the murky water, they can size you up. Yeah. And then they just launch. And that's why they grab kids or dogs. A lot of dogs die because they get to the water edge. They think there's no crocodile. The peripheral vision of a crocodile is amazing. There you go. Amazing. You're on How do we get on that? How do we get on that? Because I, I, you touched your recording <laughs> device. I, I checked to make sure everything So coming back to what I was saying, uh, let me focus again. Can't remember what I was saying. Yes, I do. <laughs> Remind me. You were, <laughs> you, you were going to, we were talking about the future because you were yeah, going to be talking about So connected about devices, yes. being able to collect data that we actually own and maybe run some predictive modeling on. That's an option. Requires investment. Also requires a lot of marketing. You know, that could be an option for WeGuy. But ideally, it's about building the data sets for the client and then running some predictive modeling. You build enough data set and you're collecting all this rich information from sensors we did an integration with a, a very interesting piece of software called Bina, Bina.com, artificial intelligence platform, an SDK that you can connect to the platform like we have. And that is an ability to monitor your heart rate, blood pressure, etc., through the camera on the iPhone, FDA approved. So Bina has FDA approved. Right? So their, devi- their medical device, software is a medical device that uses the camera, can actually doesn't require anything injected into you, connected to you, or anything. Everybody, especially in countries like us, most people have a smartphone. Take, a, take, put the camera on. You get the set of data. Now we've already done that. We integrated with them. We did an application in WA for that need to monitor COVID patient, external, like uh, international COVID patient. Government didn't want to have them, uh, you know, face to face with clinicians, risk your clinician your, your clinician to work. So this is an example of where we can take this, this. To me, that's the exciting future. Yeah, definitely the, the partnerships and the, and the connectivity piece really unlocks a lot of potential. To round out this conversation, I'd love to get a bit more, you know, insights into your own personal story. You mentioned a few times, you hinted a few times to, yeah. to you know, that's, that's driven a lot. To, to inf- You've planted the seeds. So, so, so help that, that seed. Why am through. I doing this job? Yeah, tell me so, about I'll tell you, you know, I, I came from a corporate background. I ran businesses all my life. I'm a mathematician by trade. I got no health understanding whatsoever. My wife's actually a health researcher, right? She's an audiologist by trade. I won't mention her. She's quite senior research audiologist. So I've lived with research into the health sciences or health, health, uh, uh, health sciences field all my life at home. Um, but so I understand the challenges and the funding issue, et cetera. But, you know, that was okay. She was working in academia and I was working in corporate. You know, it's a good balance, right? Um, but I suppose I went through a bit of a, a number of instances in my life. So my daughter is chronically, my daughter has EDS, which stands for Elner's Dunlos Syndrome. Non-curable, non-terminal, but it's a chronic. She also has MCAS, which is Marcel Activation Syndrome. But the combination of those two not terminal, but gives you a really shit life. I think I've interacted with the health system 10 times more than the average Australian. 
at all levels, specialist levels, clinicians, hospitals, you know, mental health, uh, you know, she's had so many operations. She has so many stuff getting stuck into her to be able to identify help, etc. Multi-management. I can see all the failures. So, and then as she was growing up, she's 25. As she was growing up, you know, I was still working in the corporate world and I didn't have any time to think. But, you know, you have instances in your life when you have time to think. And whether it's from an external event, from a, from your own gumption to be able to sit down and actually decide how you're going to make a difference. And I was lucky. I mean, I wasn't lucky enough. I should have arrived at this position 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I didn't. It took, I'm 57. It took me, you know, 55, 54 years to understand that there's more to life than just working in the corporate world. What, what the director at Curve understood 14 years ago. That took me longer. I'm a slow learner. And then I decided to, uh, to join this company to be able to, to, to create an impact. And one day I'll be able to solve help. Whether that's through digital tools, for predictive modeling, I don't know yet. But I won't stop what I'm doing till I can actually help her and help all the other sufferers. You know, it's one of the most undiagnosed conditions in Australia. Both of those. Very little awareness. Complete misdiagnosis of these conditions uh, as irritable bowel syndrome, FODMAP, uh, ME or chronic fatigue syndrome, as they call it, etc. You know, and that's what drives me. It's all about purpose, Peter. If you don't have a purpose, you're getting up for the wrong reasons. Of course. That's a powerful message and uh, one that, so. uh, you know, I, I can see would be motivating you to, to make a difference on, on a day-to-day and, and it sounds like, you know, the the doing that with WeGuide and the team at Curve is is a really great fit. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that that journey as, as each individual live leading up to that billion you know the billion person mark get gets achieved so we'll we'll put the details for for we guide and curve tomorrow in the show notes of the episode for people to check out and on, on our website of course and and uh, details to to get in touch and i really I, I, you know there's not a thing as a free lunch you should know that so you know i came to sydney to be interviewed by you for talking health tech benefit so i'm going to plug my company so we're at the digital health festival in june <clears throat> we are one of the sponsors we're going to have a stand there if anybody out there is interested in learning about how we can help you guys, come and see us. Okay. Uh, I think we're stand 43 or something, but it doesn't matter. It's a small show. You'll be fine. We make a lot of noise. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> surprise me. <laughs> Got it. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for your time. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. If you made it this far, you're the perfect person that I want to hear from. Our THT Plus audience survey is now open until the end of June, and I personally read every submission. In fact, If you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks, and I'll even buy your coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey and have your say. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.